Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. I'm your host, James Woodham. And I'm your co-host, Juliet. Juliet has a decade of architectural experience in the US. And James has completed over 250 home renovations in the UK. Together, James and I have over 35 years experience designing and building homes. This podcast was created to give you, the homeowner, the power and the knowledge to get your project done right, on time, and with quality workmanship. We've been going for just over a year now, and we have over 50 episodes for you to listen and absorb all the information from key experts in the industry. That's right. We've spoken to industry leaders, builders, architects, and the best part of what we do is hear from you, the homeowner, what went right and what went wrong. We really hope you like listening to this podcast. And if you do, please leave us a review. Reviews expose us to more listeners, which in turn means we can help more homeowners save money and avoid the chance of things going wrong. With that said, let's get into today's show. Hey guys, it's Juliet from the Property Renovation Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. This week, I speak to Kate Hamlet of Balanced Home, Balanced Life. Um, I personally really enjoyed this episode because even though I'm an architect working in the same field as Kate, she was able to teach me so much. Um, she actually introduced me to a whole new specialty subfield within architecture called um, the Well Building Standard. We get much more detailed into it into our show. But basically, if you are interested in not just sustainability and how to make our earth healthy, but how to make ourselves happy in the buildings, ourselves happy and healthy in the buildings that we live, this is the perfect show for you. It is filled with lots of really good information and super specific tips and products and things to consider about your home. So I hope you enjoy it. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Property Renovation Podcast and rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also join our Facebook group at www.facebook slash groups slash the Property Renovation Podcast. All right, that's it. And let's get into today's show. Hey, everyone. My name is Juliette. I am your co-host for the Property Renovation Podcast. And today I am super excited to introduce Kate Hamlet of Balanced Home, Balanced Life. It's not your typical average architecture business, but I think it is super valuable for everyone to know exactly what kind of home environments Kate is trying to create. So Kate, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Juliet. So tell me, you you are a registered architect and you have your own um, custom architecture firm. And then you started Balanced Home, Balanced Life. Can you tell me a bit about that journey? Sure. So, yes, I, uh, I am an architect and I specialize in helping families create homes that actually enhance their health and their well-being. So I started my custom residential design company called Balanced Architecture. And that is uh, I created that so that I could be making homes that focus on the health of both the people that live there and the planet. So I'm focusing on wellness and uh, environmental and sustainable design. But once I created that and I was working with these um, homeowners that were doing custom design, I had so much information that I wanted to share about how and why we need to be creating healthy homes that I branched out and created this online business called Balanced Home, Balanced Life. And I created it so that I could just get as much information out there to as many people as possible about the importance of living in a healthy home and how and why we want to create healthy homes. So uh, yeah, so Balanced Home, Balanced Life is um, 
if you go on to that website, you can find information, all sorts of information on there about how to create your own healthy home, free uh, help, uh, helpful tips. And I also have, you know, depending on how you want to get your information, I have a bunch of free information. I also have uh, online course that can actually walk you through room by room how to create your own healthy home. So that's really fun for people that want to learn on their own how to actually create a, a, a real healthy home. And then I also offer um, consulting services for you know a whole range of whether you just have a simple question or you know one single question, or if you really want guidance on your whole renovation process and how to make it as healthy as possible. So that's. That's how it all came to be. Yeah, that sounds great. And also, um, <clears throat> it sounds really, it just seems like it's a really great service because as a homeowner, I can come to you with just a few questions or, you know, wanting to partner with you throughout the entire process so we can scale that solution to whatever size, you know, the particular homeowner needs. So that seems really cool. Yeah. Um, can you... I'm just curious because this is actually maybe um, slightly embarrassing for me as an architect, but usually when we think of healthy homes and healthy environments, I think we do, our minds initially go to lead and sustainability, not wellness. And then um, talking to you earlier, you actually mentioned the well standard, which I had never heard about. Mm-hmm. And so walk me through a bit about, you know, what is the difference between sustainability and wellness and the difference between LEED and the well standard? Sure. So there is absolutely no need to be embarrassed because I didn't find out about the well building standard until just a few years ago. And my whole professional career and even in college has been focused on sustainable design. So, you know, I've been working in the sustainability field for so long and it wasn't until recently that I came across also designing for wellness. Um, And luckily, I came across it because there is so much overlap between designing a healthy planet and designing a healthy homes for healthy people and buildings for healthy people. So the well-building standard, if you are familiar with LEED, it's very similar in the fact that it is a rating system. And if you aren't familiar with LEED, LEED is a rating system for creating buildings that are going to help um, promote the health of the planet. Um, the cool thing is actually well was created by, um, the, the people that started, um, that started USGBC and the whole lead process. Uh, they all, um, are working hand in hand creating this well building standard. So there is a ton of overlap. And, you know, when you think of a sustainable building, one of the things that has, has gotten addressed in sustainable design, but it wasn't a, you know, wasn't the the main focus was indoor air quality. So that's a big overlap when we're looking at sustainable design and healthy, healthy building design. Um, so yeah, those are, that's how well really came to be. And um, it's really focusing on the health of the people that are living and working in these buildings. So the well building standard, it's um, it's a creative. Mo- it was actually started for commercial buildings, so for bigger buildings that you know that you're looking at, not just air quality, but it is a big fo- focus: air quality, water quality, lighting, the comfort levels in the space, um, 
stressors. So you're looking at how it's affecting your mind and even how it's affecting your nutrition and your fitness. So all these things come together in the well-building standard and to basically to optimize a building to enhance the, the human's health that's living and working in it. Awesome. That is an excellent breakdown. Real quickly for our listeners who are not familiar with it, the USGCB is the U.S. Council of Green Buildings. Yeah, it's the U.S. uh, Green Building Council. So it's, uh, and they're the ones that started LEED. Um, And uh, yeah, they've been going strong. I think they started in like the early 90s and LEED itself has been around since, I want to say 2000-ish. So it's been almost 20 years that this rating system has been on the market. It's you know, internationally known and the great, um, yeah. it's done a lot of good things for the planet. <laughs> it certainly has. And then if nothing else, I feel like LEED has done, they've sort of run a very, I don't mean to sound cynical when I say this, but they've run a very good marketing campaign in just in terms of, at least now, I feel like the vast majority of people are aware of buildings and the way we build them and the impact it has on the environment. Mm-hmm. I guess now it's sort of time for that second wave of marketing to sort of let's talk about buildings and how the health really affects us, you know, the occupants directly, because I mean, we, let's be honest here, we're building for ourselves. And so we might as well make buildings, you know, that's support us, our activities and, you know, keep us healthy. Yeah, exactly. And like, exactly like you said, I think this is the beginning of the next movement. And with a rating system like this that has, you know, the well building standard has been around for four years now. They did years and years of research before they brought it out to the public. So it, you know, scientists and, and doctors and architects, engineers, everybody has gotten involved in creating a system that is scientifically backed. So you can feel confident knowing that the things that you're doing are actually proven to make you healthier. So it's a nice, it's a nice reliance and knowing that, you know, where we need to be focusing on ourselves when, <laughs> when we're designing buildings. No, we really do because I mean, yeah, these buildings are for us, for us to either work in, play in or live in to do mm-hmm. some sort of activity. Yeah. All right. So let's, um, so like you said, even though the well building standard was developed for larger commercial buildings, you know, just like with LEED, first developed for larger commercial buildings, but then you, certainly all that has translated into residential homes. And so well standard, again, designed for large commercial buildings, but you're sort of, um, it seems like you're kind of on that bleeding edge of translating all of that commercial scale recommendations down into our homes. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole reason why I want to be doing this, because I can take all this all the science-backed information that the well-building standard has put out for us. And I can take out what is going to really work in residential design and start incorporating it into our homes and, you know, having the information of knowing that it is going to be making us healthier and providing just a better living space for us. All right. Awesome. So let's sort of just walk through a typical home and how um, we may be able to start implementing some of the well-building standards into our homes or even our everyday lives and our routines. So say, like, let's just, yeah, let's start at the beginning. So say I come in through my front door, what should I be thinking about either if I'm in my home now, or maybe I'm thinking about a future renovation? 
Sure. So I love starting at the front door because you might as well just walk through the house how you're going to actually um, experience your home. So the first thing you want to make sure you do is in your entryway, create a seating area. So if you're designing a new entry or you're renovating it, make sure you have enough room where you can either have a couple chairs or even a built-in bench. And what this does is creates um, obviously a place for you to sit down and it will encourage people to sit down and take their shoes off when they come into the house. And the reason this is so important and, um, you know, we might not always think about needing to take our shoes off when we walk in the door, but we definitely want to because our shoes track in so much dirt from the from outside, from everywhere we've been walking throughout the day. And unfortunately, the dirt on our shoes is so much more than just dirt. It's filled with all the toxins that we come across, whether it's you know the pesticides from walking across the grass or uh, chemicals from you know the asphalt, whatever it is, even bacteria from animals. That all gets trapped in the dirt that then gets trapped on our shoes. And if we are walking through our house with these shoes and the dirt is all falling off throughout the home, we are going to be ingesting it. And so it's going to obviously have a negative effect on our health. Uh, this is really important. I would stress it for anybody that has kids and the kids are playing on the floor. We know we want to be um, making or keeping our floors clean. So the best thing I can stress when you walk into your house is take your shoes off at the door. And by putting a seating area right there, it, you know, it just makes it second nature to Plop down, take your shoes off, and keep walking. Makes it really easy to to prevent that dirt from getting into your home. I personally love this tip because um, I grew up in an Asian American household, and like most Asian American households, we never wore shoes inside the house. And so the yeah. the idea of wearing shoes inside the house just seems odd to me, simply just because you know, just culturally, what you grow up with becomes your norm, and so. I always thought it was funny when I would go to some some friends' homes and be like, why am I not taking my shoes off? I feel like I'm being very rude right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It is funny once you get like into the habit or the customs of taking your shoes off. It is very odd to be walking through a house with shoes on. <laughs> I think so. And I do think, um, again, I, I live in the city. And so the the things I see just laying on the sidewalk sometimes. Mm, yeah. It's just, I, I don't want any of that near my living room. I just, that'd be awful. It'd be so awful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good thing to keep in mind when you're like, I don't really want to take my shoes off, but <laughs> let's think about that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So we've kind of come through the entryway. What, um, what are we walking into next? So I would um, go into the living room next, and there are a lot of things. There's a lot of things you can be doing in every single room in the house, um, but I'll focus on the on the major ones, especially ones that are focusing on air quality and, and water quality. Um, the next room in the house I was going to talk about is the living room, and a couple big things with the living room. The first one, this actually apl applies to every room in the house, but I see this happen a lot in living rooms where people... You know, if you're renovating or even building a new home, uh, a lot of people like to put in really big picture windows into their living room, but they can't open them. So what happens is, I mean, you have a lot of natural light, which can be a good thing, but 
you need to make sure your windows can actually open because you want to be bringing fresh air in. You, the outside air is actually uh, less polluted than the indoor air. And that comes from the EPA has done studies that have shown that a typical household is two to five times more polluted indoors than it is outdoors. So if you think about like all the conversations we hear about how our outside air is so polluted and knowing that our homes could actually be five times more polluted than that, <laughs> then, then they might encourage you to actually open up the windows. And that's like such an easy first step to creating healthier indoor air is, you know, you open up your windows, you get fresh air in, and it just helps. Um, it replaces the toxin filled air, the stale air. And especially if you have a newer uh, constructed home where it's pretty airtight, um, you know, not very good ventilation, then opening up those windows will help bring in uh, fresh oxygen and get out the, the stale air. So you're also helping your, your cognitive abilities by bringing more oxygen into your house. <laughs> yes, um, definitely. I do. I, oh my gosh, I also love this tip too, because um, we design a lot of homes in the mountain West. Mm. So we design entire homes <clears throat> all around a particular view. Yeah. I mean, when you buy a huge lot for a lot of money, because of the view, you don't want anything compromising that view. And so we put in and we get requested all the time, you know, for those massive picture windows, like seven, eight feet wide, <clears throat> nine feet high, if not more. And it's, they're just, you walk in the space and it is that moment of sort of awe because it, it is impressive and it's beautiful. And there's this view, especially if like, you know, the sun setting and the valley below it's, it's gorgeous, but, um, it is kind of sad if you can't open the windows. And I always remember um, one of my professors in architecture school in one review, he just mentioned, again, this was, uh, he was talking about LEED and sustainability and talking about air quality. And he was saying, he's like, you know what? I think he's like, I know LEED stresses, you know, ventilation, light vent. Um, but he's like, I just think it's good to have, you know, windows that can operate, you know, for like humans, because it's nice for humans to be able to yeah, breathe right? air. <laughs> Yeah, that was a very good point. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to discourage people from having those big picture windows because like you said, it, they are, it is stunning and um, you want to make sure you're, if there's something outside, you want to be showcasing it, but then put an operable window right next to it. Exactly. So you can still get the big wow picture window and then have a window that you can actually open in the same space. So. Exactly. And also, um, at least in the U.S., I feel like in almost every single area, there is, no matter where you live, there is going to be a season that's temperate where you can open the windows and it'd be really nice outside. Mm -hmm. And so if you are um, planning out a renovation or planning out even a new home, whatever, if you can plan in cross ventilation, it's one of, I feel like it's one of the most pleasant things you can experience while sitting in your own home. So you're inside, you're sheltered, surrounded by, you know, everything that's comfortable and lovely, but then you can open up your windows and have this fresh breeze kind of just gently blow through your house. It's just, it's yeah. really pleasant and apparently five times healthier than not having that breeze <laughs> go through your house. Yes. Yes, it is. That is such a good point. I love like just designing for natural ventilation um, because in, 
even when it's hot outside. So if it's summertime, if you have a breeze coming through, you can actually if like feel like you're cooling your house down almost, you know, to the point where you might, depending on where you live, not need air conditioning. So it's also lowering your energy bills. So um, it's a great thing to consider. Yeah, definitely. And again, just, um, I know you touched on this real quickly, but I, I do want to stress that for new construction, all the new standards for building now, they are very different than older homes, like the older homes that like I live in right now, which is over a hundred years old. Cause my home, old Victorian, it is not, it's no, it's nowhere near airtight, but newer homes actually do have to go through certain tests to make sure that they meet a level of airtightness. And so, um, the ventilation that you sort of think happens in homes, if you've grown up and lived in an older home, that amount will not happen as naturally in a new constructed home. And so you really do need to be much more intentional about planning in ventilation to make sure that you don't have problems like mold building up in your home. Yeah, no, exactly. That's such a good point. And I would say for any newer constructed airtime, you uh, mechanical ventilation is really a must. You can't just rely on opening windows because, you know, first part of the year, you won't actually be able to open the windows. So, yeah, factoring in mechanical ventilation and um, having a good designer, uh, mechanical designer, install one for you is is a, is a must. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. All right. So that's the living room. Um, where do we go from the living room? Oh, I did want to mention also, and this again is um, a whole, you know, it applies to the whole house, but obviously our furniture is mostly in our living room. So I did want to just mention quickly um, to, to look for non-toxic furniture if, uh, if you can at all. Um, and the reason this is so important is because um, traditional furniture is covered in flame retardant, chemicals, formaldehyde, and uh, other VOCs, volatile organic compounds that all off-gas and contribute to allergies, asthma, headaches, um, even neurological issues, and cancer. So, and it off-gases for years. So it's a really a big deal. And when, you know, when we're spending so much time on our couches or um, anywhere, any furnishings in our house, uh, we're going to be inhaling a lot of that stuff. And it's all getting into our air and moving throughout the house as well. So if, um, if at all possible, when you're selecting furniture, if you are selecting furniture for your renovation, then look for furniture that is flame retardant free. And this is becoming a lot easier in the U.S. Um, there is a California law that was enacted a long time ago that actually basically required people to put chemical flame retardants on their couches and mattresses. Uh, they since eased the requirements of that in 2015. So now most, um, a lot of companies like Ikea, Pottery Barn, and Crate and Barrel are all companies that since 2015 have not been putting chemical flame retardants in their sofas and love seats and all that good stuff. Um, so that's a great one to be looking after. And then the other big chemical that we often find in furniture, and this is uh, upholstered furniture like couches and even furniture like dressers and tables. Um, anything that was made of that has a particle board or plywood frame uh, is bound together by a glue that has formaldehyde in it. And 
so the best thing to do when you're looking for furniture is to find solid wood based furniture. So um, a couch that has a solid wood frame or a table that's made of solid wood. So those are great places or great things to be looking out for. That does usually make them a bit more expensive, unfortunately, but it is, it's worth it, you know, for the health of your home and your family. Um, so I would encourage looking for that. Um, and I do just want to mention that Ikea is a really awesome company, not only because they are usually pretty affordable, but they strive to um, have as little environmental and health impact as they possibly can. So I know they have to follow, you know, depending on the country that they're in, they do have to follow the regulations that are in that country. But they also strive to follow the most stringent health considerations that are, you know, that are around. So they don't put flame retardants in. They um, try they try not to use formaldehyde anytime they possibly can. So even some of their particle board materials don't actually have formaldehyde in it. Uh, so yeah, and the only problem is you can't figure, they don't say what does and what doesn't. <laughs> um, but you can feel comfortable buying stuff from Ikea and knowing that it has a substantially less chemicals in it than the majority of other um, well-known, you know, popular uh, furniture places. That's super good to know. Yeah. Um, I do have a question sort of going off of your comment about plywood. Mm. Um, I think it might be easier to find um, chairs sofas I mean you know kids a lot of times you do see that especially you know for upholstered furniture you'll see the descriptions like you know kiln dried wood for the frame but for kitchens especially when so much of the cabinetry Mm, and carcasses are made from plywood Mm -hmm. what can we do with that especially if that's where we're storing our food yeah the best thing is to be buying um solid wood cabinetry and I know how expensive that is. So it's, it's definitely a hard thing to swallow and, you know, kitchens already are the most expensive room in the house to be renovating. So then to think that you're going to be adding that money to get solid wood cabinets, um, you know, that, that can be difficult. Uh, but like I said, I, so well, I could, I just recently renovated my kitchen and could not afford to do solid wood cabinets. So I did as much research as I can to find the safest product. And everywhere I was looking, Ikea was actually the best um, solution. So I ended up doing Ikea cabinets and they claim that they don't use formaldehyde in the particle board. Um, They use particle board and not plywood. Um, So they don't use uh, formaldehyde and I installed it and there wasn't a smell. And the smell is such a big indicator of the fact that it's off-gassing toxins. So there was no smell at all. And, you know, that's really all I have to go off of. I haven't done a test, you know, they actually have meters where you can test formaldehyde levels on furnishing furnishings and stuff. I didn't go that far, but I felt confident buying it. So that's, uh, that can be helpful. There are also, you can do a, you know, your own search and try to find companies that, specifically say, you know, we use plywood um, uh, cores, but we don't use formaldehyde in our adhesives. So Uh, they're out there, but you're going to pay a little bit more for those. I see. And then also, real quick, going back to 
I guess not going back to the living room, I was just this thing in the living room. And a lot of times, just like with cabinets, we have the plywood versus the solid wood. We have um, solid hardwood floors versus engineered floors. Oh, yes. That's another great tip. Uh, you always want to be buying solid wood flooring rather than engineered or laminated. So unfortunately, all of this is, you know, anytime you're buying a solid wood piece, it's going to be more expensive than the engineered wood counterpart. So I would, um, you know, if you can do solid wood, go that route. Um, the other option, if you just can't, um, you can't fit it into your budget, there are paints and or sealers, I should say, that claim that they lock in the off-gassing, the chemicals. So one brand I like to recommend is called AFM Safe Coat. And they make, they make paints and sealers and stains and everything, every type of liquid that you would be applying to your house, they make it and they claim it's all non-toxic. They, you know, done substantial testing and certifications and all of the good stuff that makes you trust it. Um, they make products that help seal in chemicals so that they don't off gas. So if you have to put down even like a vinyl floor or carpet, they actually make products that you can put on those materials that keep it from off-gassing. So All right, that's awesome. a good alternative. <laughs> awesome. And while we're at it, I'm just going to sort of ask the question since I feel like we're covering every single surface in the house. <laughs> what, um, is there anything that we should know about um, drywall or dip board? Uh, I mean, I would say, so not, not in a bad way. Um, you know, I think it's perfectly fine to be putting drywall up. Um, there are uh, like, um, I guess healthy, healthier alternatives, which is the one I know of is a magnesium board. So it's a, yeah, that better for you, <laughs> but it, it's hard to find. It's not common. So I don't, I, you know, when I'm consulting, that's not the first place I'll go unless somebody's like, I definitely don't want drywall for these reasons. Uh, so keep the drywall. But I would recommend, you know, making sure you're finishing it with a paint that has zero VOCs, that is a non-toxic paint. And again, the AFM Safe Coat is a great option. BioShield is a good option for paint. And the other one, um, Benjamin Moore, they do make a couple that are, you know, they're green seal certified. So it's a, it's a rating um, or a certification system saying that they're not using any toxic products. So that's a, or minimal, I should say. Uh, so that's a good one to look forward to. I think it's Benjamin Moore Natura or something like that, or, okay. or uh, one of those two. But cool. yeah, I'm glad you asked because the um, walls and the floor, that is the most surface area of the inside of our home. So what we're putting on our walls and our floor is going to have such a big impact on the air quality in our house. So you definitely want to focus on both of those areas. All right. Excellent. And then one, just one last quick note for our listeners. Um, just because you buy a Benjamin Moore paint doesn't mean you're locked into their colors because you can mix Benjamin Moore paint to whatever paint chip you bring into the hardware store. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's a great point. That's a quick tip. Say, cause say there's like a Sherman Williams collar that you fell in love with. You can, you can absolutely take that paint chip and give it to the guy say, I want Benjamin Moore nature or whatever um, particular line you know, that Kate mentioned and get it in 
get that Sherwin Willing colors done in that physical paint. Cool. Yeah. That's good to know. All right. Excellent. If you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home, then the Akiva Toolkit could be the solution you need. With its easy-to-use package of 10 documents, you are able to manage time, budget, and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time round. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first-time renovator and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com and get your project off to a perfect start today. Okay, now after covering every surface of the home, what other rooms of the home do we talk about? Uh, another big one is the kitchen because we spend so much time in, in our kitchen, so we want to be making safe kitchens. Uh, a couple of quick points to make there. One, when you're designing a kitchen, make sure you include to design a range hood. And I know... Some people don't like having them. They like just having the open space over over the stove or even sometimes I see windows there, uh, which, you know, maybe not work so well, but or open shelving, whatever it is, you want to have a range hood. Don't put anything else, put a range hood. And the reason why you want one um, is because when you're cooking, so many byproducts are created from cooking, from the oils that are being burned off, from the food that is, you know, creating these tiny particulate matter that is going into your lungs if you don't have a good um, ventilation system that's sucking it out beforehand. So I can't stress enough the importance of a range hood. And also, again, if you have, uh, if you're cooking with gas, you want to make sure you're turning the hood on before you even light the burner, because anytime there's combustion, carbon monoxide is created. So um, get the, get the vent going so that it sucks the carbon monoxide out and you're not inhaling it. Oh, that is great. I think, what do you think about um, downdraft? Do not install downdraft. Okay. They just, <laughs> yeah, they just don't work. And I know it's, you know, like I said, we just redid our kitchen and we have, it's a pretty funky house and the we're having issues on how we're going to actually attach the range hood because the, the wall is a, uh, you know, it's actually a sloped roof that comes down to five feet high above our surface. So it's, it's really awkward. I'm like, should I do a, a downdraft? So I, you know, did a bunch of research into it and it just, it's not effective. Like the smoke is going up and yeah. the moisture is going up. Yeah. So just having, it might pull some stuff down, but it's not going to grab everything that you want the hood to be taking out of the range of your inhalation. <laughs> right. So yeah, I would not recommend downdraft. All right. I, that's actually really good to know because I do have a lot of clients that, you know, they, they're trying to get away from the look of um, a big range hood. And so, you know, the, we'll talk about downdrafts and I, I always hate to say no to someone simply because it's their home. And I think that they should get what they want because mm-hmm. it's their home. But then at the same time, I hear I guess I've actually, I've heard various things. I've heard some clients who love it. You know, they think it's fine. It works good enough for them. And they love not, they love the look of not having a big range hood above. Mm-hmm. Here are other clients. Who just, they're like, Oh, I hate this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's an awesome point. Like it's your home. 
you put in what you want, but just, you know, having this information will help you make an informed decision, I guess. Right. And I guess my, actually one other question is, I feel like I tend to see this more in projects in Europe and Asia where there's a range hood, but it's actually almost concealed in the ceiling or a soffit above Mm. the range. And it's almost like you just see a thin trim piece. Right. But it's usually because, because it's hidden and because, you know, we don't want to emphasize the look of a big range hood. This is, I personally love that look, but I always have wondered about that because it is so far above the surface, the working surface of the range. I always look at that and I'm like, is that still effective? Like, I, you know, it helps, but just wonder, I wonder about it in terms of the efficacy. Yeah, no, you want, um, again, it does help, but you want the range head to be as close to the stove as possible because, you know, you don't want it to be low enough where you're banging your head on it, but I would put it right above that level um, because if your face is in there, you know, before the vent, then you're going to be getting it. And the further away it is, yeah, it's just going to have a harder time drawing all that stuff up to the, to the exhaust. That makes so, sense. Yeah. And one last um, question for you. So I live and work in the city and a lot of times, you know, we're dealing with very old buildings and some of them have very stringent um, HOAs or co-op boards, whatever. Then they don't like, they won't allow you to put in, so many things. Sometimes your own personal washer dryer. Sometimes they won't let you um, put in a garbage disposal because the, you know, the old plumbing lines can't handle it. And then, I mean, adding any new ventilation of any kind can be contentious. And so a lot of times <clears throat> all we're stuck with is a recirculating hood. Yeah. And that's, it's not the best option, but it's definitely better than not having any hood at all because the recirculating hood, it still has a filter on it. So you are filtering out the the contaminants that are that are coming out of the cooking, but it's it's then putting back into the air like the odors and the moisture and stuff like that. So it's not drawing out everything. So it's not as good as a as a hood that is directly vented to the outdoors. But it's a good option when you can't do that. All right. So out of curiosity, the filters that are in these range hoods hoods are they there for us or are they there for the mechanical unit? And then I guess my analogy is this. I feel like most people think that the filters in their HVACs systems in home are sort of filtering the air for them, but it's not. Those HVAC filters are there to filter out the large particulates that will damage the machine. And so I know you can buy like higher efficiency filters and put them in and you could feel a little better about it, but they are the way that those the HVAC systems are designed and those filters are designed, it's, they're not there for human's health. <laughs> the filters are there for the machine. And so are the range filters there for the machine or are they there for us, the humans? Uh, that's a good question. And honestly, it's something I haven't looked into too much, but my understanding is that, you know, when it's a direct vent outside, it doesn't matter. They're, you know, because it's spewing everything outside, but with the recirculating, um, my hope is that, I mean, it is filtering out the particulates and that's what you want to be concentrating on. So it is helping with human health. Um, but as far as the benefit, you know, if it's there for the, for the benefit of the system as well, I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. 
Oh, we will do a little bit of research and yeah. let you know on the blog. Yeah, that's a great question. All right. Is there anything else that we should be thinking about in our kitchens? Another big one is water quality. So, and filtering our tap water. Um, and I encourage you to filter your tap water opposed to drinking bottled water, like the single use plastic bottled water, because I mean, for one thing, it's bad for the planet and with all that water, plastic waste. And also the plastic water bottles can actually leach chemicals into the water that you're drinking. So it's not a healthier option. My understanding is that bottled water is not regulated anyway. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I know they've done tests and it's like, I remember that being in the news a few years ago where they studied tap water compared to all different kinds of bottled water that people were paying a lot of money for. And sometimes the tap water was actually much healthier. So um, yeah, but the reason why I suggest people filtering their water, no matter what, is that even if you, you know, you could be on the municipal water supply or you have well water, either way, water can still be contaminated. Uh, there's chemicals that the you know cities put in uh, purposefully because you know chlorine and stuff to to fight off other bacteria that is in our water. But also, you know, certain bacteria can get in along the way. the The pipes can be leaching things as they're making our way to homes. You know, like lead, unfortunately. And with well water, especially, there's absolutely no regulation on it. So you know, you're you, know, you could be exposed to anything like radon's a big one in water. So get your water tested for sure. But then even if you don't want to go through this step of testing your water, just you could very easily get one of those, you know, like a pure or Brita water filter, one that either screws on to your faucet or that's like the pitcher that you stick in your fridge. Those for the majority of the time work great at filtering out what um, the contaminants you don't want to be drinking. So, yes, I would definitely recommend filtering your, filtering your water no matter what. So. All right. Awesome. Healthy water is, I mean, I feel like, especially here in the U.S., you know, we've had those crises and, you know, Flint or, you know, any number of towns, unfortunately. And it's, right. it, it's obviously very important to our health. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And not only just for the, you know, to make sure we're not drinking contaminants, but the other great thing that filters do is they make your water taste better. So you're more likely to drink it, which is another big component of having a healthy body and a healthy lifestyle is making sure you're drinking plenty of water. So it's a really great idea just to easily get a filter for your, for your, your water. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Installing something in our home to encourage healthy habits. It seems like a no brainer. Yeah, exactly. So, yep. All right. Awesome. So we did the entry, we did the living room and the kitchen. Where to next? Uh, next, I'll go to the bathroom. And there's, there are a lot of you know, fun, thing, fun things we can do in the bathroom to make it healthier. You can actually add in really fun spa-like qualities in a bathroom um, to encourage relaxation and calmness and all that great stuff. But the few things I'll mention now are more of just your health and um, focusing on health and air quality. So the first one that I love to um, be designing into homes is actually creating a separate toilet room. So putting a toilet in its own little room, which is often called a water closet, you can put that away from out of the room of, you know, where your sinks and showers are. 
And the reason you want to do this is because when you flush the toilet, unfortunately, germs go everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's really gross to think that, you know, you have toilet bowl germs on your toothbrush. Uh, so to avoid that, <laughs> right? Just, just closing the lid help. Um, that, well, yeah, that would definitely help. That's a good point. <laughs> so probably because <laughs> the, you, as long as you think about it, just make sure you close it first. That would just probably help with the spray. So that's a good start. Um, but yeah. And then also the other great thing about having a separate toilet room, they, they honestly don't take up that much more space They're You know, they only need to be like three feet wide by five and a half to six feet deep. So not a huge amount of space, but it creates this nice little privacy area. So if somebody else wants to be showering or whatever in the bathroom, they can, they can be useful for two people at the same time. So I do like to design in separate toilet rooms. And then the other real, one real quick oh, though, on the separate toilet room. Um, I feel like a lot of times what we end up designing is we'll put the sinks in one area, you know, so like two kids or, you know, sometimes more, you know, especially if they have like friends over can sort of be at the sinks, brushing their teeth. And then if someone needs a little privacy, which is either going to the bathroom or taking a shower or a bath, that's in its own room. And mm, so yeah. the sinks are separate, but the shower and the toilet or the tub are often together. What do you think about that arrangement? Um, it's... So still your, your shower is where you're getting clean. So when you're, if you're flushing the toilet and that bacteria is going all over your shower, it's still, you know, not that great, but, um, for, so that's why for peace of mind, I like to have the toilet in its very own room, but I think that is a great step away from at least keeping it away from the sinks. And I, yes, I've done that design many times and I do love it for the functionality of it. It just works so well when you have multiple kids or multiple people sharing a bathroom. So yeah, that's a, a great alternative. All right. So that's at least, so that's good to know. So ideally separate water closet completely less than ideal, but still really good. Maybe you put the shower tub and the toilet in one room and the sink separate. Mm-hmm. Least ideal. Just really make sure you got that lid down, I guess. Yeah. 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 That's a very good point. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, what else should we be thinking about in the bathroom? Because it's like you said, it's the place where we get clean. And so I'm sure there's a lot to think about there. Uh, there is. The other one I wanted to mention is, and this is going to help with the air quality in your home. And you mentioned it at the beginning, talking about mold. So one thing we really want to focus on is the reason why mold exists. One of the things it needs is moisture. So bathrooms are a great breeding ground for mold, unfortunately. And that comes from our wonderful steamy showers. So if you are renovating your bathroom or making a new one, I would recommend putting, installing a bathroom fan that has an automatic moisture sensor in it. So when you turn on the shower and the, the fan starts sensing that moisture, it automatically turns on. You don't have to think about it. And it's just going to draw all of that moisture out of your house. And the one thing I do just want to stress, because we moved into a house that uh, I guess this was common uh, quite a few years ago, but our bathroom vent vented right into our attic. It did not vent outside. (laughs) So it was actually spewing all the moisture from our bathroom into the attic. And then the attic grew mold. Okay. No one can see my face right now, but there's a face of horror. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So if you, and also if you ever see that, if you're 
searching for houses or whatever, um, or if you just want to check your own home and see what's happening there, see where your bathroom vent is actually venting because you want it to go directly outside to get that moisture out of your house. Don't disperse it into any other location of your house. Right. Um, yeah. So. Oh my God. There's so many things wrong with that picture. Just, <laughs> right. I'm just thinking because the majority of homes in the U S for their insulation in the attic, they have fiberglass. Mm-hmm. Moisture makes fiberglass useless, like completely useless. Like yeah. you get wet once and it's like done. I mean, obviously the, the mist, the air vapor doesn't kill it all at once, but I'm just, I'm just thinking of the equation. Fiberglass plus moisture equals no insulation. Basically. Right. Right. No insulation and just a breeding ground for mold. So yeah. Yeah. It's not a, not an ideal situation. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm glad that that building trend has died. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I think they learned, contractors have learned their lesson on that one. All right. Wow. Okay. So um, do you have any sort of tips in terms of placement of those bathroom fans? Oh, well, close to your, as you know, close to the bathroom or the um, shower as possible. So wherever the steam, you want the steam to just get out as soon as possible. So I would direct them, I mean, not within the shower stall itself, but just outside of the shower stall. So it's going right up and out. All right. Interesting. Because yeah, actually a lot of times what we end up doing is um, we put a fan in the toilet room and then uh, a second mm-hmm. fan actually right, you know, in right by the shower. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of times clients are like, is that, isn't that overkill? But it's sort of one of those things. It's, it's like, I know this seems like overkill, but in eight months of living there, like, like within six months, you'll thank me for doing this little add on. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you have a toilet room and you only want to have, well, actually, if you have a toilet room with no window, you have to have ventilation. Out correct. Of correct. So, um, but yes, do not, not put a, um, vent in, in the main bathroom. Like you need that. The, the real, the main reason, uh, bathroom ventilation exists is to get the moisture out. Right. So you're just putting it in the toilet room. You're not helping with the moisture that's you know, coming out of your shower. So you definitely want that one. Excellent. Um, that, oh my gosh, this is so much good information. Um, do you have any sort of like general overall tips that we should be thinking about as we think about our homes? Uh, Sure. So I know I uh, talked a lot about the air quality in our homes and what to be looking out for. But like I mentioned at the beginning, healthy homes are about so much more than just the air quality. So one good thing I like to uh, just mention to people when they're thinking about renovation or just, you know, interior design aspects of their home, a good one is looking at smart storage solutions. Because which, you know, obviously people are probably thinking about that, but they're great because it helps with keeping the clutter down in your house and clutter decluttering is definitely a buzzword right now. And for a good reason, because when we have a decluttered home, it just calms our minds. Like if you, you know, have walked into your house and it's just this messy, you know, chaos, then you're going to feel it's going to impact how you behave in your house and just, you know, your mood. So when you can create start, um, you know, smart storage solutions that, you know, especially if you're not a well-organized person and you don't want to be organizing your shelves all the time, uh, having storage drawers is a great place to just, you know, 
kind of hide the stuff, like hide the kids' toys or whatever it is. Get it out of your sight. So look at storage solutions that either help you organize like the mail that comes in or the toys that always seem to be lying around. Those are going to help ease your mind, create a calm home, and just uh, make a more enjoyable experience for you while you're living in your home. Awesome. Yeah. Storage and um, anything else that we should be thinking about? Uh, Yeah, the other, this is a really fun one. So, and I won't, um, I don't want to go too into it because I could probably talk about this topic for a long time, which is biophilic design. And that just means that we're intentionally designing our homes to incorporate nature. And the reason why we want to do that is because we know now there's been many, many studies that show that humans need an interaction with nature. We crave it. It makes us healthier. It makes us happier. It speeds up recovery time when we're sick. So it's a really good idea to be to just have it in our homes, especially for people that live in the city or, you know, just don't get to interact with it a lot throughout the day. Putting things like, you know, houseplants is a great easy way to do to to get that um, connection with nature. But it can also just be, you know, probably less obvious than that is looking at how to incorporate um, things that mimic nature. Like if you want to put up wallpaper that has plants on it, or, uh, and I would suggest picking non-vinyl wallpaper so that it's not <laughs> adapting. <laughs> um, or even the, like the paint colors that have like a natural, like a nice green or, or blue that's a soothing uh, nature inspired color or picking a furniture that's, you know, like a side table that's made out of a tree stump that will start bringing that connection to nature. And just having those pieces in your house triggers that connection that we're all craving. Yeah. And it's, and it's fun to be thinking about that as you're designing your home. Yeah. I love that you brought up biophilic design, which is a huge topic in and of itself. And I guess I think I just want to reassure our listeners that this is not, um, for a lack of better word, this is not woo-woo. <laughs> mm, yeah. This Thank is, uh, like, there is real hard science behind it. And this is why, I mean, hospitals, I mean, if you can talk about um, a business that is all about numbers, statistics, and closely studying it to make sure that, you know, they can stay profitable, stay afloat, all those things. There have been so many studies that show if you have a recovery room with a window that looks out to nature, the recovery time has proven to be faster. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically you take it's basically just taking that principle and applying it to your home so you can, you know, recover from that stressful work day a little bit faster. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Kate, so again, it's been Kate Hamlet of Balanced Home, Balanced Life. Um, this has been such a great episode. So, so much good information. I learned a ton. I hope our listeners enjoyed it and learned a ton. And um, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Julia. I've had so much fun talking about this.